We've got a really good talk today uh, by uh, James. So James is going to come and share with us about Nehemiah and one of the key bits in Nehemiah. This is kind of the, the middle of Nehemiah where, where everything changes. Um, so I'll hand over to James. James, trying to pray for you before I raise the bar now. No. <laughs> Are you scared? I said it's going to be a really good talk. Let, let's pray. <laughs> Just let me get on with it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you just bless James as he speaks to us and open up our hearts as we open up your word. And we pray that um, you would be speaking to us today about standing firm in your word and just use James as your collaborator in opening up the word for us. Amen. In November 1963, the Bishop of Guildford stood here, or hereabouts, and he led this congregation of St. Paul's in a service of dedication for the original new St. Paul's building. And the biblical text he chose for that occasion was Nehemiah chapter 8, which we are going to be looking at today. And that text has been of great significance to this church as it built its walls and then worked out what God wanted to do with this building. And it's my prayer that it will be of great significance to us. But we can't assume that. We can't take for granted that it will be because that depends on our response to God's calling. We're going to read in Nehemiah chapter 8 something that was written two and a half thousand years ago. That's old. My wife and I, we were in the Pantheon in Italy last week, and that was built 2,000 years ago. And we thought that was old. We marveled at the, the amazing architecture that went back so long. Well, this is 500 years older than that. And we're going to read about people reading the Bible or reading the law of Moses. And that was going back to a thousand years before that. So we are in old, old territory here. What I'm going to ask you to do in a moment is to stand. And we're going to stand while Richard, if you may come up now, comes to read Nehemiah chapter 8 for us. And whilst we stand and read, if you're able, if you're not, please stay seated. I want you to work out why I've asked you to stand. Now, there are Bibles at the front. If you want to get one, that would be a help to me. And our reading is at page 491. So, page 491. So, if you haven't got a Bible near you, um, it would help me if you did get one um, and read from, turned up to page 491. And we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 8. And for the elderly, large print Bible, page 778. All the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, 
Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who could understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, the women and others who could understand and all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him on his right stood Mattatiah, Shema, Aniah, Uriah, Hilkiah, Messiah, and on his left were Pedadiah, Mishael, Machijam, Hashem, Hashbanadah, Zechariah, and Meshullam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Yeshua, Barney, Sherebiah, Jakim, Akab, Shabethani, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Jozabad, Hanan, and Peleah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. And Lord, we thank you for this word and we pray that as uh, I speak and as we listen, that you would inspire us, that your spirit would move in us, that we would commune with you, O God, the creator of the heaven and the earth. Amen. Amen. Please sit down. Thank you, Richard. Now, we've been going through a series of, uh, uh, of Nehemiah over the recent weeks, and we've learned that Jerusalem had been destroyed, and the holy city of God, the special place for God on, on earth and for his people. And many of his people had been exiled, but some remained in Jerusalem and some had returned to Jerusalem. And Nehemiah who had been exiled over to Susa, that's Iran, about 800 miles away, heard of the disgrace uh, of Jerusalem. And it troubled him greatly. And this man who'd become a, a trusted court official 
prayed and he did something about it and returned to Jerusalem and exercised great leader, leadership in the face of opposition. And we've learned so much. We've learned about prayer and fasting and justice and perseverance and community and opposition and expectation and planning and oversight and so on. There is so much from the book of Nehemiah. But you know what? This morning, we've got the best passage of all. We really have. It's absolutely fantastic. Because from Nehemiah chapter 8 to the fore, if you like, at the front, we begin to see why this was done. Why Nehemiah was led in the way that he was by God. Why the walls were rebuilt. And we see what it was and why it was so important to build. So if you're with, with me, well, we're going to walk through the passage verse by verse. So let's read again uh, chapter 8, verse 1. And again, if you t- close your Bible, we're at page 491. And we learn what next. So, verse 1. When the, Sabbath, sorry, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled into their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate when all the people had settled in their towns. Now, I think this rather innocuous verse is actually the most important verse in the passage. Each of us, every one of us, is a builder, like it or not. We're built to build. We build our days, we build our weeks, we build our lives. We build families and finances and characters and minds and futures, and that shapes what we do and it shapes what we don't do. And we all know we can build for good, and we all know we can build for bad. The question is, how do you know the difference? And how do we as a church know the difference? Bad builders, bad builders, focus on building walls of self, or the walls of their family, or the walls of their church. The walls are to keep them out. The walls are to make us secure, lest anybody ruin what we've created. That's the bad builder. The good builder builds character, finance, family, future, church. But the walls are built to strengthen them out there so that they may avoid ruin so that they may find refuge. The rebuilt Jerusalem wasn't a closed city. The rebuilt Jerusalem was for the villages and towns out there. That's why Nehemiah built this. God's builder builds for the sake of those outside. So, how do we do that? How do we do that? So I've just skipped my pages here. Well, the book tells us how you and I can be God's builders. Let's go to the second part of, of verse 1. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, how do you become a good builder? Open the book. Open the book. 
Nehemiah wasn't interested in building something of architectural brilliance. He wasn't building a political power, power or a financial base. He wanted to rebuild the spiritual life and purposes of the people of God to the glory of God. The people 60 years ago, remember that's not long after the Second World War, didn't want to build this place for having some adornment to a traffic island in Surrey. They built it because they wanted to bring the truth of God to this community. If you want to be God's builder, the first step or a first step in that journey is to know your Bible so the Spirit can shape you through it and so that you can be useful. And what do we learn about knowing Scripture? And this is what I want to focus on now from this passage. And I've got six main points I'm going to tease out from this passage for you. Let me read verse 1. My first point is tell the preachers to preach. And I'm going to be a bit hard on myself here and those who stand in this spot. They told Ezra, the people, um, the teacher of the law told him to bring out the book of the law of Moses. Bring out the book, preachers. I've not told him I'm going to say this. Phone Nico and say, I want to learn more. Phone Nico and say, I'm hungry for the Bible. Those of us who stand here, we've got to avoid having sort of blessed secular thoughts which have a bit of holiness added on the back to them. We need to open the book because that's what you need and I need because it has a power that nothing else has. So first of all, we make sure our church teaches the word of God. Bring out the book. That's one. Tell the preachers to preach. Nico will be delighted, I tell you. Won't you, Nico? Verses 2 and 3. Gather to listen. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra and the priests brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women, and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon, wow, uh, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and the others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Gather to listen. There is something happens. God moves when two or three gather together in prayer, in fellowship, and in the reading and learning of the law, uh, the word. We grow as individuals when we open our Bibles on our own, and I want to encourage you to do that. But we grow as a people, and we grow as a people concerned for out there when we open it together. We grow as a community. The Spirit moves amongst us when we open the Bible. What next? So we've asked the preachers to preach. We've gathered to listen. Verse 4, respect the Bible. Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on the high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood 13 names, which Richard pronounced better than I ever will. In my 20s, I, I worked in Dublin for a year, and I went to a Presbyterian church. And it was an old, old building. And it was, had two aisles, not a middle aisle, so we Presbyterians wanted to stop anyone from processing down the middle. Um, and in the middle at the front was this massive pulpit, about 10 feet high, which the minister would sort of wind his way up to and stand to preach to everybody who were in box pews. 
And either side of the pulpit, just in front, were, were chairs facing inwards where the church elders would sit. And they were there symbolically, if you like, um, to check that what the minister was preaching was correct. Okay. Now, I wouldn't want that. Uh, and in fact, they've now pulled that building down and built a brand new thing, and it's fantastic. But you can see what they were doing, the architects of that building. They respected the word, and they were elevating it, and they wanted to ensure it was correct. And so what I want to encourage you is to respect and elevate the Bible in your life. And I'm going to come back to that theme. It isn't just another book. It is the book. Next, verses 5 and 6. Stand up and get active. Ezra opened the book, and all the people, which is why I got you to do it, uh, could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, uh, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. My encouragement to you is to actively engage with the Bible. They're standing up here, they're getting physical. You know what it's like sometimes, the sermon comes along and you kind of relax and you step back. And really what this is showing is that we, we, we need to lean in and switch on. This is not me just telling you it shouldn't be just me telling you about God's word. This is us, if you like, doing the dance together, opening the word together. Actively engage. Don't be passive. Now do whatever you need to do. Take notes. If you're, in private, if you're reading the Bible privately, talk to it. Ask it questions. God, what do you mean by this? Respond to it. Say, amen. Some of you may be, I, mean, I miss Angus. Drummond, every now and again you'd be preaching and you get an amen from Angus from the back. God bless him, the preacher's encourager. Read, review, chew, turn it over. Engage with God's word. Next one, verses 7, 8 and 8. Listen to instruction. The Levites, list of names, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that people understood what was being read. Many of us here will know that the Bible is an amazing book. You can go in and sort of paddle in it straight away and God will speak to you and things will be revealed. You read the Gospels and the narratives of Jesus and, and just, just the amazing encounters with him, for example. But it's also a profound book. It's complex. There is depth and breadth of history to understand if you want. It is sublime, but it can be difficult. And so what it's telling us here is that we need instruction. We need to hear sermons. But you also need to go, for example, to life groups and, and talk things over and ask questions and discuss and get deep in. Don't swim alone as you dive into the depths of the Bible. Swim with others. And swim with your own resources. And I'm going to show you the th my favorite ones, okay? I've got three books, just as examples of my favorites. They're a bit old-fashioned, okay? Um, 
I'm going to say something that's probably slightly overstating it. I think every Christian should have this book on their shelf. It's called The New Bible Commentary. It's not an easy read, but it's basically got all the facts and figures about every book and a sort of a, and a, and a shortish commentary um, about every book of the Bible. Okay? If you own the Bible, you can buy a Bible for 10 quid, right? You can buy this for 60 quid. Now, I know that's a lot, but I can tell you, and Richard, both and I are lawyers, if this was a legal textbook, that would be 500 pounds. Uh, with the depth of scholarship that there is in there, okay? So to have that on your shelf, so that when you're going, well, when was Ezra written? It's there. I like these commentaries, Bible Speaks Today, and again, they're a bit yellow and old-fashioned, but they walk me through each individual book, and they're probably newer and better and shiny ones and less yellow ones. But have a, when you're in a book, buy a commentary and read around it. And then this, this amazing theologian who I, I, I've already sort of um, uh, promoted from this pulpit, as it were, who I commend to you all. He's called Bear Grylls. <laughs> I love Bear Grylls. He does daily readings, okay, um, which, you know, there's a short passage and then he gives reflections around it. I think they're fantastic. Now, those are just the ones I use, but find your sources and resources I love, uh, I've got my Bible um, on, a, on an app on my phone, and when I'm walking the dog, I get there's some gravelly American voice bloke who reads it out to me. It's lovely. Um, Lectio 365 is an app. So daily readings in the Bible, which re- reflect on the Bible passage in a prayer. Whatever it is, listen to instruction. Verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra, the priests and the teachers of the law, and the Levites who instructed the people said to them all, the day is holy, and um, is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep, for the people have been weeping as they listened to the word of the law. As you read your Bibles, open your hearts. Open your hearts. Now we all read to learn. You know, I've, I read Excel for dummies to learn what pivot tables are. Don't ask. Delia Smith to help me in my non-cooking abilities. Uh, WikiHow in my DIY and so on and so on. We all read to learn how to do things. But as we open our Bible, we're doing something different. We come to God and say, Lord, show me your heart and your will so I know how to change my heart and my will. It goes right here. And the wonder of... Engaging with the Bible is we engage both our head and our hearts. If you only engage your head, it will become dry. It will become dry and abstract. If you only engage your heart, there's a risk it will become a saccharine self-help manual. And we don't want that either. And so engage with both your head and your heart. And what happens then is that we can find ourselves, the people here heard the word, and they wept. And we can find ourselves looking in the Bible and discovering we're not the standard we should be. We don't come up to all the things that God would like us to do. And reading scripture can be like holding a mirror up to oneself, a spiritual mirror, and we can find ourselves wanting. But what the Bible will also do is point you to Jesus, who died on the cross to take away all the wrong things we'd done. And we read in the Bible 
of his teachings and showing us how to live, how to come to him and say sorry and start again and start again and again. Verses 10 and 11. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy the choice food and the sweet drink and send some of those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed the people, saying, be still, for this is the holy day. Do not grieve. The amazing thing about the Christian walk, the Bible, the Christian message is this, is that the gospel always restores us Jesus always lifts us up as again. He builds us. He makes us whole. He rebuilds us. He never leaves us as a broken individual or a broken city. So, what do we do with this? 60 years ago, a generation actually built the predecessor walls to these walls. Why? Not for the sake of the building but for the sake of people on Northern Avenue and Cheam and Yule and Epsom and places like Worcester Park. Can you imagine? That people could know and grow in the saving love of Jesus. That you could know and grow in the saving love of Jesus. So that you can build a place of safety and of refuge for them. Is it needed? Well, yes, isn't it? For many here, and for many not here, it is tough. It's tough at the moment. Secularism is rampant. Individualism isolates people in their droves. The information age overwhelms. The cost of living is engulfing. Even many who thought they were safe financially. Work disappears or work oppresses. Trusted media personalities stumble. People die in boats. Wars and rumors of wars are on our doorstep. And the effect of all of that is a generation of the anxious. We are not becoming people as peace as we become more wealthy. We are being people of anxiety as we become more impoverished as individuals. And I'll be absolutely candid, I'm not immune from that. I've got very tired and I've had to take time away from work just to recover. But what I've learned is firstly that I have a fantastic family, amazing colleagues and loving friends who have loved and cared for me and advised me and prayed for me and helped me to rest. But principally, like everyone, I've learned I need Jesus, my Savior. And as well as that, I've learned that I need his people. I need you to be my stronghold. And I can only do that if you've built yourself up so that you can build me up, so that you can build them up. How do we do that? How do we do become builders? How do we build our character for God? Well, Nehemiah teaches us that principally it's through knowing God's word 
and letting the Holy Spirit work through us. So we're told to tell our leaders to open the book. We're told to gather to listen, to respect the Bible, to actively engage, to listen to instruction and learn, to open our hearts, to say sorry, to accept Jesus, and to celebrate so that we might be spiritually vital, vibrant, and ready to build for the sake of the next generation. Verse 12. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and to celebrate with great joy, because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Well, we're standing next to this table. We don't need to go home to find food to celebrate. We have it here. I'm going to pray and then hand over to Nico to lead us as we take communion. Dear Lord, we thank you for those throughout history, but particularly two and a half thousand years ago and 60 years ago, who built walls. And Lord, we thank you that they built walls not for the sake of the walls, but for the sake of those outside of them. And we pray, Lord, that each of us would know how to build the walls of our minds, if you like, and the structure of our hearts, that we may know and love you more and more, and that we may build one another up to glorify you who died on the cross, whose blood and flesh were broken and shed. And lead us now, Lord, as we approach your table and in the days to come that we may learn what it is to be your builder. Amen.